Pastor Marco. Good morning, everyone. All right, so as, uh, as Pastor Marco said, I am here to land the plane, so to speak. So today we will be finishing our, our series in the book of James. Um, it's been an incredible series. I've, I've really enjoyed it personally. Um, so if you have your devices out, if you want to get to James chapter 5, we'll be going through verses 13 through 20. Um, the focus of our study today is going to be on a God-centered prayer life. And we'll walk through that and, and see what that really means to have a God-centered prayer life. So in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, I know it was read once, but I'm going to go ahead and go through it one more time. And James writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elisha was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So before we actually dive into our study, I want to do something and we're going to call it the, the road thus far. There's a television show out there, and if you know which one I'm talking about, don't judge me, don't laugh. Um, but uh, during the season finale of this show, they do a little music montage. And it's basically everything that's happened in that whole season, and it gives you a whole wrap-up, and, and they, they splash you know, the, the road so far, and they show you everything that happened in that season. And this music montage is, the, the music for this little montage is Carry On My Wayward Son by Kansas. So we're going to do something a little similar, but there will be no, no Kansas. I'm sure some of you are looking forward to that. But yeah, so we're, we're going to kind of run through, and in case you haven't been with us during the entire series, or, or maybe you're just joining us for the first time, maybe there was a few Sundays that you missed, uh, we're just going to go through briefly and see what James has talked about so far in, in his letter. So in James chapter 1, James talked about temptation and trials. Um, he talked about the testing of your faith, spiritual maturity. He said that we should count it joy when you meet trials of various kinds because it produces steadfastness. He said hearing and doing the word. This is where we get faith in action, which is the, the title of our whole series, hearing and doing the word. Um, what you believe shapes how you live. So if you profess a certain belief, but your life does not reflect that, then I would say that there's some, uh, some reflection that you might need to do, a little bit of soul searching to see where you're really at if, if your life doesn't reflect your professed belief. So that's James chapter 1. In James chapter 2, James, um, he gives a warning against showing partiality, uh, especially against a poor person in favor of someone wealthy. Um, he reminds us that the poor of the world 
um, have been chosen to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. James also says in chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. And he specifically says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith through my works. A person is justified, and he says that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James stressed here in chapter 2 that faith and works have to go hand in hand. You cannot profess a faith and yet do nothing about it. You have to show that fruit. Um, Jesus was clear about this as well when he said that a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree doesn't. So we, we want to see the fruit of our work, and it shows our faith. It's our faith in action. In James chapter 3, James talked about taming the tongue. He called it a small member that boasts of great things, a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Uh, James referred to the tongue as a small rudder that guided large ships. It it often guides them to destruction. Look at the Titanic, right? Um, In chapter 3, he also talks about wisdom from heaven, that uh, good conduct showing good works in meekness, in the meekness of wisdom is wisdom from above, while boasting selfish ambition and bitter jealousy is, is earthly and it's demonic. So he's talking about wisdom from heaven. What does wisdom from heaven look like? It's meekness. James chapter 4. In, uh, in chapter 4, he, he gives a warning against worldliness and greed. Uh, James says that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. So he gives warning against worldliness that we, that we should let go of that greed, that we should let go of that wanting of things. All of that will burn away someday. So having a, having a lust for it, a want for it, would, will make you an enemy of God. In chapter 4, he also discusses submitting ourselves to God. He says to resist the devil, and he will flee from you, and to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And finally, here in chapter 5, what we've talked about so far, James gives a warning to the rich. He lets them know that their wealth is rotted, and their garments are moth-eaten. He says that gold and silver have corroded and that they have lived on earth in self-indulgence. So he gives a very, very strong warning to the rich who, who hold on and, and prize their, their wealth above all other things. Finally, um, James talks about patience in suffering. He says, just as the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, we also need to be patient for the coming of the Lord is at hand, and our suffering will bear fruit. There is fruit in us waiting on the Lord, and there is fruit in us going through trials and going through, through sufferings. And it's not really till we get to the end of that road that we, can, that we can finally see what it is. So a God-centered prayer life. So let's start in uh, verse 13. Excuse me. So in verse 13, James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Um, The suffering that he talks about here, um, the the word that he uses, it could be a trial or it could be a persecution. So the the time that that this letter was written, it was written approximately 10 to 15 years after the uh, the crucifixion of Christ. Um, And so the, the Jewish Christians at this time, they were under persecution by the Romans. Um, and, and they were going through various trials when they were giving up their possessions, when they were following Christ, when they were going out to, spree- to, to, to spread the gospel and to preach the gospel. 
And so there were trials. So he's asking, is any, are any of you suffering? Let him pray. Um, and if you're cheerful, if you're going through a good season, make sure that we're giving thanks. As, as trials come, do you go to God in prayer first? Or if you find yourself in that good season, do you go to him right away and give thanks and give praise? Uh, when I was studying for this sermon, I was actually reading this verse. And I had some, uh, some worship music playing on my phone, just kind of in the background, just to, it was almost like white noise. But as I had finished this verse, uh, a particular song came on. It was uh, Praise You in the Storm by Casting Crowns. And I listened to the words of those verses and it brought me to tears. And I just stopped and I praised the Lord and I listened to those words and it just, man, it just wrecked my heart. And so I want to share those words with you. And I, I know that most of you guys have heard the song. It's a fantastic worship song. It's a song that, um, that uh, it, it, it's a song that will, is, is worshipful in times of trial. It's a song that is, it just shows that worship in times of trial. So here are the verses. I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen, and it's still raining. As the thunder rolls, I barely hear you whisper through the rain, I'm with you. And as your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. And I'll praise you in this storm. I will lift my hands that you are who you are, no matter where I am. In every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in this storm. Verses 14 to 15. James writes, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I have some firsthand experience with this. I don't know how many of you out there are familiar with essential oils. Anyone? Woo! Yeah. A couple. A couple. Maybe one. Maybe one person out there has heard of essential oils. Um, my wife got into essential oils um, a number of years ago. And I remember in the beginning, I was a skeptic. I, I was very, very skeptical of this whole thing. I, I, I really wasn't sure what, what she was doing or who she was you know, when she started doing that. But you know, I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll give it a try. And let me tell you what, I am a believer now. And what's been awesome is, is when, um, whenever I've gotten sick or, or any of my children have gotten sick, my wife has a little book and she's gone to to see what, what oil or what combination of oils tend to work better in that situation. And she will get that oil and she will rub it on that certain place. And as she's doing that, she's praying for healing for us. And it works. There is something about anointing an individual who is sick with oil and praying over them. It brings healing. It does. Now, now this... Uh, this going and praying for the sick, it can also be an opportunity to share the gospel with those who are ill and do not know Jesus. 
So I, I don't know if, I'm, I'm sure many of you out there, just, just like myself, have, um, have beloved family members and friends who are not believers, who have not submitted their lives to Christ. And, and maybe, they, um, maybe they've, they've come under a, an incredible illness, a terminal illness, or, or they've been injured severely. That is a time to go and pray for them and to give them the gospel message, to tell them about Christ, to tell them about the redemptive power that can be found in him. Um, and I've seen personally when, when someone is at that place and, and death is on their doorstep, they realize their mortality and they acknowledge God. They know God exists and they will cry out to him. And so that is a perfect time to go and spread that gospel message to someone who is truly in need of it. This is also an opportunity for us to go in and ask the Holy Spirit to come in and do a work. Um, when we're going, we're praying for the sick. Um, I, I know, unfortunately, for, for us and you know, for our thoughts or beliefs, healing isn't always the result. Um, sometimes you go in and you pray for someone, you pray fervently for someone, and they aren't healed. But God's will and glory is always revealed, and that is always the result. And God can bring triumph from tragedy for his glory. He will bring people to him. Um, people will call upon his name in, in the event of tragedy. So God can turn any tough or tragic situation into a situation to reveal his glory and to bring others to salvation. Now, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There are 35 documented references of Jesus praying in the Gospels. And I think we can all agree that Jesus was a righteous person. So there are 35 times where the authors of the Gospels specifically wrote in that Jesus went off to pray or Jesus prayed with individuals. Um, in, Ma- in the Gospel of Matthew, there are nine incidents. Um, and I'm going to list some of those out here for you. When, when Jesus was speaking to the Jewish leaders, he prayed. When he, um, he gave thanks to the Lord and prayed to, to God for feeding the 5,000, when Jesus went away and prayed by himself for a while before he was walking up, before he went and walked on water. Jesus prayed for the little children that ran up to him. Jesus prayed during the Lord's Supper. In Gethsemane, before his betrayal, he prayed on three different occasions. Um, After being nailed to the cross, Christ prayed. While he was dying on the cross, Christ prayed. And finally, with his last dying breath, it was a prayer. Now, this is the creator who stepped down from heaven, the one who spoke all things into being. He went to the Father in prayer in all of these difficult times, these tough times, these challenging times, and he wanted to set the example for his disciples, for those who were around him, and let them know this is how it's done. When you come across this situation, this is the first thing you do. You go into prayer. Um, during his 40 days of temptation, he prayed. Um, the Gospel of Mark records eight incidents. The Gospel of Luke, and Luke was a doctor, so he's really thorough, records 13 different incidents where, where Christ went off and prayed. Um, the Gospel of John records five incidents. So Jesus showed 
the importance of prayer. Now here, in, in the beginning of verse 16, where, uh, where James says, confess your sins to one another. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And I, I know that, that verse has almost come, become cliche, but iron does sharpen iron. When you have brothers that to, to just rub up against you, and it, sometimes it's a person that you maybe don't necessarily see eye to eye with, but you can sharpen each other. Um, sin's power lies in darkness. Let me just say that again. Sin's power lies in darkness. So having that brother who can help sharpen you and that you can confess sin to is a way that you can grab that sin out of the darkness and drag it into the light. That's exactly what confession is. When you have a brother that you can go to and you can confess these sins to, you can take that sin out of darkness, you can pull it into the light, and that sin will no longer have power over you because it has been revealed. It has been pulled out of its darkness. Um, but in order to do that, you must have fellowship with other believers. Um, and if you're a young believer, if you're new to the faith, um, find someone who's been in the faith a little bit longer and get discipled under them. Spend some time with them. Um, learn how they live their lives, how they pray, how they interact with their family and their friends. Spend some time in discipleship. But confessing sin to one another is incredible power. That is how we drag these sins from the darkness, pull them into the light, and they no longer have power over you. Um, finally, this is prayer streaming, where, where God's people are confessing sin to one another, e- either corporately as a church or within smaller intimate communities, um, like community groups. If, if you have been attending a here for a while and you haven't found a community group, I would implore you, get involved. There are community groups that meet almost every day of the week and that is going to be a small, intimate setting where you can really get to know fellow believers in Christ and you can develop bonds and you can develop relationships and you can have this kind of sharpening where you can sharpen each other, where you can keep each other accountable and you can drag this sin through confession out of the darkness and into the light. So God's people confessing sin to one another, both corporately and within um, intimate community. Um, This time of confession is something that leads to prayer and to worship from conquering our sin through Christ's power. So through his power, we're able to to confess to one another and conquer the sin and get past it and move beyond it. Verses 17 and 18. Elisha was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So James references Elisha here as an illustration to strengthen the importance and the power of prayer. Um, James knew his audience was familiar with the scripture and that they would understand the importance. Uh, They were Jewish Christians. That's who he was writing this letter to. And he knew that from the time that they were young, they had spent time in in temple, that they had heard the stories. They knew their patriarchs. They they knew who these these Old Testament prophets were. Um, But in case you're a Gentile like me, maybe you're not as familiar with with the story of Elisha, I'm going to give you a little bit of context and let you know what was happening here. So um, this takes place in 1 Kings chapters 16 through 19. If you've never read it, 
I encourage you, go and read it. It's an it's a incredible story. Um, so King Ahab, he be, um, Ahab became king of Israel. Uh, this is approximately 870 B.C. after the death of his father, um, who was the wicked King Omri. Now, Ahab did evil things in the sight of the Lord, more so than all the other kings before him. Um, he, took, uh, he took Jezebel, a, a woman named Jezebel, for his wife. Um, you wonder where that name comes from? It comes from this woman specifically. So read the story and you'll know a little bit more about her. And he constructed an altar to worship Baal. Now, Baal was a, he was a pagan god of rain and fertility. And I think it's pretty interesting that, that Elijah prayed to make it cease raining when the nation of Israel was worshiping a rain god. Um, King Ahab led the Israelite nation into idolatry, and he led them away from the Lord. Um, Elisha, as God's prophet, confronted Ahab, and he let him know that there would not be dew or rain these years until he had asked God for it. And at the end of the three and a half years, God dealt with Ahab, God dealt with Jezebel, and God dealt with the prophets of Baal. And Elisha prayed, and rain came down upon the earth. So if you have not read that full story, go to 1 Kings 16 through 19. It, it's an incredible story. There's so much more to it. Verses 19 through 20. James writes, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now this, the saving of the soul, James is referring to something that's more restorative and not necessarily salvistic. Remember that the, once we're saved, once we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are always saved. You will not lose your salvation. If you truly were saved, if you called upon Christ and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, you will not lose it. Um, he's talking about a, a, a brother who is, who is backslidden. Um, and so what he's saying here is that we need to pursue those brothers and sisters in Christ who have fallen away and they've started chasing their old sin. Um, let me ask you if, you, if you look around, if you had friends that, that used to come here to church with you and you know, someone that you knew or were familiar with and they kind of sat down the aisle from you and maybe you haven't seen them in a couple of weeks or a few months, have you reached out to them? Have you given them a call? Hey, how are you doing? Is everything all right? Can I pray for you? What can I do for you? reach out to those who have started to fall away. I mean, it's hard to know what could be going on in their life, but believe me, they could be struggling with sin. And this is a time that us as the body, we reach out and we pull in those who might be struggling, who might be falling back into old sin. It's important that we reach out to them. And it's just a simple phone call. Send them a text message. Just let them know that you care, that you are genuinely interested in them and where they're at and their well-being. Um, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to aid in bringing them to restoration. Um, it could just be going out to lunch, having coffee, and specifically ask him, hey, where have you been? I haven't seen you in church for a while. Are, are you going somewhere else? How's everything in your life? How's your family? But just get involved and ask them. Um, and if they let you know, hey, I've fallen into sin, pray with them, um, pray for restoration specifically for them, but be intentional with these relationships. Um, because we as the body, no one else is going to look out for us. We need to look out for each other. We need to care for one another as the body. 
Um, now a time can come when a break in fellowship must occur with a believer who has chosen a path that they know not to be true and they are living in known willful sin. Now this doesn't apply to someone who is a non-believer, someone who's lost. This applies to someone who is a professor of Christ who says that they are a Christian. Um, if there is someone like that and they are living in a known willful sin, uh, you need to confront them about it. And if they are unwilling to repent, if they're unwilling to turn away from that sin, then that's the time when you have to break fellowship with them. Now, it's okay to, to, to reach out for, for prayer or to, to give them opportunities for repentance and still show them that you care, but they really shouldn't be attending your, your weekly Saturday barbecue. You, know, you, you cannot have fellowship with a fellow believer who is living in that sort of known willful sin. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated, even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So they are talking about a specific separation. Unlike before, when someone just, maybe they've fallen away a little bit, maybe they're backsliding and they just need a little bit of help. Um, Paul has a great verse for that in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So now we've gone through these, these verses in James. We've, we've gone through these last eight verses. Um, we've been looking at, at a God-centered prayer life. Paul is, I mean, excuse me, uh, James is really specific that in this situation, you pray. When we're confronted with this situation, you pray. This situation, you pray. So we need to be looking at a God-centered prayer life. So let's look at, at what prayer is. What exactly is prayer? Prayer is self-evaluation. Where in our lives are we dropping the ball? Where are we missing the mark? I, I, I can tell you, I mean, in, in my life, in my walk, in my just daily living, I, I drop the ball every day. But I recognize those areas, and I start to pray for those areas, and I ask my wife to lift me up. I ask my pastor and those who, um, who are my brothers that help to sharpen me, to keep me accountable. Um, those areas that, that I know that I struggle in, those are the areas that, that I ask to be lifted up. So self-evaluation, where are you dropping the ball in your life? Um, prayer is repentance. It's a daily confession of sin. There's not a person here that can say that they've gone an entire day without sin. Uh, most of us can probably barely go five or six minutes. I mean, it's, it's something that happens continually because we are fallen, because we live in a sin nature, and it's sin is something that's going to be around us. Paul said that, um, that it's a daily battle against the flesh. So we know that we're sinning on a regular basis, but are we going to the Father for repentance? 
on a regular basis? Or are we holding it in? Are we waiting to do that on a weekly basis? We should be going to him the moment we sin, when we know that we've, that we, we've done something wrong, when we know that we've sinned against him, we should go to him at that moment. Lord, I'm sorry, I, I messed up. Please forgive me, Lord, I'm sorry for that sin. Go to him immediately. As soon as you encounter that sin, as soon as it's, that those words are uttered out of, your, out of your mouth or those thoughts enter your mind, go to him for repentance. Prayer is giving of thanks. Um, we give thanks for our spouses, for our children, for our home, for our job, for our salvation. Give Christ the thanks for all those things that he has blessed you with. Um, if you've been blessed with health, if you've been blessed with wealth, whatever it is that you have in your life, it is a blessing from the Lord, and thank him daily for those things. Um, don't think that any of that is something you earned on your own power, and it's something that can go away very, very quickly. Prayer is submission to God. What exactly does that mean? We are, when we pray, we are submitting ourselves and our will to God. We are trying to align our will with his. What is the will that the Father has for me today? What is his will in my life? And the only way you're going to know his will for you is by spending time with him in prayer and asking him, Lord, break my will, bend me, show me what you would have me do, align me with your will, Lord. Prayer is always answered. It's either going to be yes, no, or wait. But prayer is always answered. Um, kind of a good example of this. God is a, he's a good, good father. And I look at my son, Raylan, and I know that there's probably nothing more that he would like than to have a motorcycle. Now, he's four, and if you've ever worked in children's ministry in that, that little group, I am so sorry, because he's wild. But there's nothing that he would like more than a motorcycle. And he just would, he would ride that thing around the living room. He would do flips. I mean, he would be a motocross all-star. Um, and so when my, when my son asks me for these kinds of things or shows me these kinds of things or, or tells me, Dad, can you, can you leave all your guns in my room? I'm not going to do that. Why? Because, <laughs> because I love my son. Because I know what's best for him. Because I am his father. So in that instance, I'm going to tell him No. Now, when my son comes to me with a request, Dad, I'm, I'm so hungry. Can you feed me? Yes, son, I will feed you. I love you. I want you to be nourished. And I'm going to take care of those needs. Um, you know, if he, if he asks me, Dad, can we build something together? My answer there might be wait. That's something that we definitely can do, but you're not ready yet. So just wait, son. That's how God is with us in our prayers. He knows what is best. When we pray for certain things, God knows that they will bring us to destruction because he knows us better than we know ourselves. I know that if the Lord granted me the lottery, I would just, it would be terrible. You'd never see me again. I'd probably blow it in six months. I mean, he knows our hearts. He knows where we're at. So there are certain things that he will not grant to you because he knows you and he loves you and he wants to keep you on that path of righteousness. And other times he, he might know that you are not ready at that moment. So there's silence. There's, there's a waiting. And other times, yes, 
prayers are answered because it's something that you're, that you're bringing to God. It's a request that you have that is a need, not a want. It's a need, and he is going to bring that to you. Prayer is fellowship with God, getting to know him and being called friend. Um, when I used to have a little longer commute to work, every morning I would spend that in prayer. And just in case any of you are worried, I wouldn't pray with my eyes closed. My eyes were always on the road as I was driving. Um, I didn't say, Jesus, take the wheel and let me pray. No. But so, we, um, but so I, I had this fellowship with the Lord, and I still do every morning. That's, that, is, that was my routine. It still is. Um, I just have a conversation with him. I mean, I feel like God is right here, right next to me, and we're just having a conversation because we're friends. And I'm telling him, Lord, these are some of the areas that I feel like I'm struggling in. What do you think? Can you help me? Can you give me some advice here? Um, I'll talk to him about what's going on at my day at work. You know, Lord, give me some strength. Give me the words to speak to others. Um, but just having a conversation with him. And so the only way we're going to have that, that kind of fellowship and that conversation with him is spending time in prayer and becoming a friend of God. Prayer is thinking beyond ourselves and growing in compassion toward one another. I, I don't know if you've ever run into someone like this, but um, just that individual that, I mean, I know we all drop the ball, but there are some people that drop a really big ball and they drop it all the time. And you might get a little frustrated with them, but I promise you, if you spend time praying for them on a regular basis, the Lord will give you a heart of compassion for them and let you see them as for truly the way he sees them, let you see them for who they are. He will reveal their heart to you and your heart will break and you will have compassion for these individuals. Uh, you won't be judgmental towards their struggles, um, but you'll want to help. You'll want to lift them up. You'll want to spend time in fellowship with them because just like you, they, they drop the ball and it, you know we are no better than they are. And, he, and sometimes I think God um, needs to, to do that work in us and by us spending time in prayer for those individuals, it will give us a heart of compassion for them to reach out to them, to help them in those areas that, that we know they're struggling. Prayer is the battle. Prayer is the battle. Remember, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities. Um, what Paul says in Ephesians 6. So um, prayer is that weapon in, that we have in the armor of God. Prayer is that direct line that we have, and that is our offensive weapon that we can go to the Lord with when we have needs. Um, when we're in a battle, that, that is how we communicate with him. That is how we fight the enemy. Um, remember that your fight is not with the person next to you. Now, husbands, look at your wives, and wives, look at your husbands. Your battle is not with that person next to you. Your battle is a spiritual battle. It's a battle against darkness. It's a battle against evil. Um, this is a fight that, that cannot be won with fists. It cannot be fought with an AR-15. This is a battle that can only be fought and won with prayer. So prayer is the battle. Prayer is our weapon. Now, what prayer isn't? Prayer isn't, um, prayer isn't superstitious. I'm not sure how many of you have ever seen the movie Major League. 
I loved that movie when I was a kid. It's about the Cleveland Indians and their journey to the penance. Um, There was one particular character in that movie named Pedro Serrano. Now, Pedro could hit any fastball that you threw at him, and he could completely knock it out of the park. But if you threw a curveball at him, you would strike him out every single time. So, so Pedro Serrano, he had, um, he had this, little, this little doll in his locker, like a little voodoo doll, and he'd built an altar to this little god, and, and, he, and this is a little G-god. So, and he would give offerings of rum and cigars and other things, and, and as he struggled more, he, would, uh, he even got a snake, and he was doing these voodoo rituals on his locker, and pretty soon Willie Mays Hayes, who's you know, trying to steal bases, he sees what he's doing, and he gets a much smaller snake, and he's kind of doing the same thing. Prayer is not superstitious. Prayer is not superstitious. God's not listening to that. God is not concerned with your superstition. Um, I don't care how many ladders I walk under, how many black cats I cross. God isn't concerned with that. Prayer is not superstitious. Prayer isn't Jesus as a genie in a bottle. Jesus is not here to grant our wishes. That's not how it works. That's not what prayer is. Um, you know, when you become a Christian, you don't automatically get three wishes, and you can't wish for more wishes. You know, none of that exists. Um, Jesus is not concerned with our wants or our desires, but our needs. Jesus is concerned with our needs, and that is what he will care for. Prayer isn't fighting to get our way. Now, uh, there was a story that was shared to me by, by a sister, um, and her, it was something that her client told her. So her client told her that uh, there was something that she had been praying for and really asking for, and de- Jesus was just not delivering on it. Jesus wasn't coming through. So finally she prayed, and she said, Jesus, I'm just going to have to ask you to move out of the way, and I'm going to go to your mama. That's not how prayer works. We can't push Jesus out of the side and then decide to go to someone else. Um, I, I, I grew up Catholic, but Mary is not going to hear your prayers. She's where she belongs. She's in heaven, but she's not answering prayers. I'm sorry. Um, Peter, Paul, none of these guys are answering prayers. Who is the one that is hearing you? Jesus. Amen. The one and only. Jesus is hearing your prayer. But if we pray enough to whomever will listen, there is someone who will answer because he has come to destroy and he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and he's after your soul. So if you pray hard enough, long enough, and just throwing that prayer out there to anyone who'll listen, I promise he'll come around and he'll give you that thing that you don't need. He'll give you that thing that'll lead to destruction. Look to Christ for your prayers. When he says no, it's no. Let that door be shut. Quit trying to pry it open. So now that we've talked about what prayer is, what prayer isn't, um, we've talked about a God-centered prayer life. So you might be asking, well, okay, now that we know these things, how is it done? How do I pray? Well, Jesus being the good, good father that he is, he laid it out for us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And this is what he says. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth 
as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus outlines what our prayer to the Father should be like. First, God is on the throne. He is in heaven, and his name is holy, and he should be praised. That's first. Second, we're asking for God's kingdom to come, and we're asking for God's will to be done in our lives. Third, we're asking for the provisions that we need. Give us to stay our daily bread. Not asking for much more, just our needs, just what we need for, for, um, for basic provisions. Then asking for forgiveness for our sins. This has to be a regular thing. We need to go to the Father to ask for forgiveness for our sins. Uh, when we start committing sin, that communication with the Father is, is cut off because God is holy and he says be holy. So when we, when we are sinning, we need to stop and take a time out and ask for that forgiveness. Then Jesus tells us we need to ask for protection from sin. That should be part of our daily prayers. Lord, keep me from sin. Lord, you know where I'm dropping the ball. You know where I struggle. Lord, keep me away from that. Help shield my eyes from those things because I know those things are where I struggle. Then finally, we give God all the glory and all the praise. This is a God-centered prayer life. So, in conclusion, James ends his letter almost as abruptly as he started it. Um, he implores his audience to have a God-centered prayer life, um, going to the Father for prayer in all things, that there's no issue that is too small or too big to take to God. Um, he wants to hear from you. He wants to have that fellowship with you. I mean, if, if you have a, a huge decision to make in your life with your job or with family or anything, go to him in prayer. Um, if you're not sure what color shirt to wear for the day, pray to him. Like, just have that fellowship with him. Have that communion with him because he wants that communion with you. Finally, if you don't know what it's like to go to the Father in prayer because you have not submitted your life to him, now is the time. Join me in prayer. Father God, we just love you. God, we just come to you. We give you praise. We give you all the glory, all the honor. Lord, your name is holy, and it is higher than all others. God, we thank you for our word, for this word that you gave us today, Lord. I, I, pray, that, I pray that hardened hearts were softened. Lord, I pray that hearts of stone were broken. Father, I pray that there would be reconciliation. Um, God, I, I pray that, that, that uh, those in need would come to repentance, God. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your provision. Um, God, this time, as our offering teams are going to come up, Lord, we are prepared to worship you with our stuff. God, we know that you will take care of us. God, we know that you will take care of our needs and you will continue to provide for us. And that this is a way that we show you, Lord, yes, I trust in you. Yes, Lord, this, everything that you've given me is yours. I'm gonna give you a part back. This is our act of faithfulness, Lord. So I just pray that you would just press it upon our hearts to continue to be faithful in this time. Uh, God, I pray for the offering I lifted up, Lord, that it would be used to glorify you, Lord, that it would be used to 
further your kingdom, God, that it would be used to, to give to those in need and, and to continue the furtherance of your kingdom. Jesus, we just, we just love you. We thank you. We praise you. Jesus, as we get ready to move to this time of communion, Lord, let it just be uh, a time of, of reflection on, on where we're at, Lord, in our walk with you. And, and Father, if there's unrepentant sin, Lord, I, I pray that, that, that those with it would cry out to you, that they would go to you in that confession of sin. Father, we love you and praise you. Jesus, it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.